Hello and welcome to East Tropic at the Movies. I'm Mike. And I'm Jose. And we're back after an absence of about three months. Um, unplanned, unannounced, and I was completely uncommunicative. And I don't apologise, but we are back. Yeah, no, I was just ill for a while and I couldn't go to the movies. And uh, yeah. it's going to continue, actually. So uh, my treatment isn't over yet. So I think there will be a further period where I'll be incommunicado. But for the time being, I'm here and have been to the movies. Yeah, so that's enough sympathy for you. <laughs> <laughs> and we're back on Barbenheimer weekend. So mm. this, is the, this is the sort of unofficial event that is revitalising cinema. Cinema's been dying, um, mm. since certainly since COVID. And funnily enough, the, the first film that was supposed to save cinema during COVID was another Christopher Nolan film, Tenet, um, and that didn't have uh, the effect that it wanted. People, you know, that was very early on in COVID. People still weren't going to the cinema, and the film wasn't as great as as it might have, you know, you might have wanted it to be. Um, I thought it did quite well, though. It, uh, well, I, I can't remember, to be honest, mm. but it certainly doesn't have the reputation of its others. Um, and it was still in a period, like I say, of of um, lockdowns. Mm. Uh, his new one, Oppenheimer, is coming out, and coincidentally, at the same time, the Barbie movie is coming out. It's been a long time coming. It was announced in 2009 that Mattel were going to make a live-action Barbie, and then you know, it's been a very long time. Initially, they um, were very resistant to having Barbie on screen. Barbie's been going for decades, and when Toy Story was being made in the mid-90s, they got loads of real toys. They got Etch-a-Sketch and they got the Army Men and they got Slinky and they got Mr. Potato Head, but they didn't get Barbie. And Mattel was very resistant to the idea, A, well, they didn't know if the film would be any good and make money, because that's one thing, but also that you would be putting a personality and a story onto Barbie. And the idea of a doll is kids make them up themselves. Of course, then Toy Story turned out to be financially successful. Barbie showed up in Toy Story 2 and then had a proper character and Ken in Toy Story 3. These days, we've got full-on Barbie because she's got her own film. And I uh, guess the way they sort of stepped around the thorny issue of does she have a personality that we're putting onto her or not, or her own storyline, is the dolls actually exist in some place on Earth somewhere. And they are being played with by children. And you have stereotypical Barbie, who is our main Barbie, Margot Robbie. We also have Supreme Court Barbie. We have astronaut Barbies, things like this. And in the great tradition of fictional characters sort of coming to life, they go to the real world. Um, I mean, I, I didn't get any of this from the trailer. I don't think the trailer explains any of this. It's just, there's a Barbie movie. It's going to be pink. Well, I think to begin with, I just want to congratulate whoever did the marketing for it. <laughs> because it's been a phenomenal job. I mean, I just went on to Google, to Google Barbie, and my whole screen turned pink. Right. Um, so and they've got it everywhere. And there's a real sense of occasion for the film. I think it was fantastic to be at the cinema and see all these young girls. Actually, the cinema was full of young girls, really, responding to everything, I might add, and mm. singing along sometimes. It was really full. I mean, you suggested we should book tickets because you got the sense it was going to be full. And we got tickets like in a, in a back row towards the edge. Like It was full. Yes. And it was full, and the audience was predominantly young girls who were many of them dressed in pinks. Actually, you could tell who the young who the young gay boys were because they were also in pink, right? So you know, it's a it's a mainstream film 
kind of uh, directed at an audience that isn't normally addressed, and they made a sense of occasion mm. uh, out of it. Or actually, with the aid of the marketing, they made a sense of occasion of it. I was really surprised on the you know an afternoon screening on the first day the film is out, everybody already knew enough to wear pink. Right. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't anticipate any of that, and maybe I should have. But actually, this this goes back to what I was I got distracted. But the thing about Nolan and Tennis and Oppenheimer is, you know, the idea is these were the films that were going to save cinema. Mm. Um, we we'll wait to see whether Oppenheimer does well or not. But um, it turns out that you know films aimed at just like kind of normal, boring white guys my age aren't necessarily the ones you want for that. Barbie is completely different. It's addressing completely different audiences, much more kind of open and light and all that sort of stuff. And it's got a huge audience. And and we were saying just before, part of it is definitely the fact that these films are coming out at the same time and they play off each other. Sure. It's just like the incongruity of the film about the development of the atomic bomb and a film that's just light and pink and about a girl's doll. is It's captured everyone's imagination. Well, it's a sad commentary on the state of cinema that the powers that be think that you can only address one type of audience every weekend and that that type of audience is usually... Actually, by this stage, I would say middle-aged man, actually, because I think the audience for all of those uh, Marvel films and so on is no longer, you know, your teen boy, which has been traditionally the audience for cinema. I think just as much middle-aged or old guys go to that uh, those superhero films as any other part of the audience. And I think that's maybe something kind of worth speculating on because it seems to me that to a large extent, not not continuously, but almost continuously, that ever since I've been a teenager, mainstream American cinema has been aimed at me. Or there's always been something that's been aimed at me. Mm. Right? You know, from the Superman films, like, you know, when I was like 15 and, you know, the Star Wars and so on, mm. to now the Superman films, now in the Star Wars films, now yeah. in the superhero films, now. I mean, you know, kind of, they're still addressed at me, really. So I think it makes such an interesting change to see a film like Barbie uh, that addresses a kind of a different audience and that in a way does it so successfully that it shows that there's a real need to address that audience, I think. Mm. Um so one of the things about Barbie that, because um, I was I excited to see it, I wasn't excited to see it, right? And it's not really addressed to me. That's so you know, yes. fair enough. Um, and then I saw the trailer and I thought, I don't really get this. You know, it's not really explained very much, and and the vibe. I guess I kind of get the vibe, but it's not really for me. Um, and then I started to see uh, <laughs> excerpts of interviews with Ryan Gosling, who plays Ken, and how he's so deeply and kind of maniacally sort of adopted this character. Ken is just the beach. Like beach is all it is to him. It's just beach and Barbie. And he, the, the Guardian did a, um, a quiz, you know, his like 15, 16 quotes, were these real or not? Did uh, Ryan Gosling actually say these? And he said them all, right? They're just mental. And he said every single one of them, he's just banging to Barbie. Uh, banging to Ken, I should say. Like he's super Ken. And when he comes on screen, he's kind of really alive. And that's when I started to think, yeah, this, you know, I could be quite interested in this. But one of the things is, underneath everything, it is a Mattel product. It is the Barbie product. You know, we are it's it's a toy movie, like Lego, mm. um, before it. Um, and so one of the questions, I guess, is to what extent can it be, I don't know, critical of itself? 
or you know, I'm, the conversation about Barbie and feminism and what she represents and so on has been going on for decades mm. since she was invented. Um, the film, I suppose quite cleverly, um, represents these arguments. It never, I think, takes like a kind of really strong ideological position on anything. It's jumping around all the time and everything is fodder for a joke or a sarky quip or something like that. It's very satirical, it's very ironic, but I actually think in some ways it's one of the most radical films I've seen in spite of Mattel. I have never come across a film which deals with the patriarchy as a fact and begins from there. Yeah. yeah and that, you know, the Barbie world in the real world is a place where the patriarchy plays out. Barbie world is a matriarchy. They go into the other world. Ken learns, you know, all the power and so on that he could have that he's missing out on by living in Barbie world and comes back and tries, you know, to turn Barbie world into a patriarchy. The yeah. fact of the patriarchy, what it is, what it does, you know, the powers that it conveys because of gender, I have never seen that spelled out as clearly as I have in this film. Yeah, you're right. It is accepted as a fact. It's not something that needs to be explained other than it need, other than it's something that Ken learns and in, in so doing it is therefore explained to the audience how these dynamics work. You know, when the characters, when Barbie and Ken emerge into the real world, they learn about it. So we learn about it too. But it is never expressed as anything other than this is just the way the world is. And even from the start, you have this narration by Helen Mirren. Um, and it starts off with this kind of history of Barbie, a tour of, of Barbie. And she's explaining where Barbie comes from and that, you know, she started off as just this perfect white woman. Um, it's kind of ideal that people were supposed to be. And now we have Barbies of colour. I think they came out in, in the 80s. Um, Barbie can be a CEO. She could be an astronaut. She can be this, that and the other. And and at the start, I'm thinking, wow, this is super corporate. Mm. <laughs> um, and it... it, and it it goes so far that you start to see the sarcasm in it, mm. you know, because towards the end of this opening narration, she says uh, something along the lines of, and Barbie has saved the world and every woman is equal to men. But, you know, and she does it in such a sarcastic way. You go, okay, right. There's, there's self-awareness here. Barbie has not saved the world. And this is not what the film is saying. Um, but like right from the start, before we get into Barbie and Ken learning about the patriarchy, um, it's it's established through the narration. This yeah. is what the world is, and this is what's different in Barbie Land. Yeah. We have a land of deluded dolls who don't understand how the real world operates. And I think what's interesting, so here I'm saying that it's radical. It was radical to see it yeah, yeah. in a mainstream film. Though, of course, I was gauging the audience reaction. And, you know, all the little girls just, you know, took it as a fact that that is the way the gender works. That if you do this with a guy, he'll respond in this way blah, 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 but that it's not really like that, you know? So mm. I think the way that the jokes land with the audience is, you know, that the audience is perfectly aware that we live in a patriarchal yeah. world, you know, that it's gendered, how it's gendered, uh, you know, well, certainly all the little girls were aware of it, really. Yeah, and the difference between their own perceptions and what they're meant to perceive. So I think that a film that already works or communicates to the audience on the level of those shared understandings, I think it's really quite something. Yeah, because it's um, there. There is a history of films that have uh, fictional characters um, coming into the real world. So, like it happens in Lashed Action Hero. There's kind of well, I wouldn't say Pooh and Roger Rabbit because there's a, a key part of it is that the fictional character learns that the real world is not, you know, mm. it doesn't operate the way they're used to, um, and and like one of the things that is just accepted as part of the real world in this is the dominance of men, the structures that put men in place, the fact that being a man 
earns you respect just on the basis of what you look like and who you are from strangers in a way that it doesn't if you're a woman, that sort of thing. That's just part of what how this film is operating. And, and all of those jokes are knowing. And the reason they get last is because we all implicitly understand the basis on which those jokes are being made. The film is full of really good jokes. More than I expected. And I think it's, it's got some really decent writing. Just joke-wise, gag-wise. Yes. You know, I have I have reservations about about the film. And actually, I suppose about Greta Gerwig as a director. So, you know, she's now done three films that I like very much. You know, that, I mean, you know, I, I like Lady Bird very much. Uh, I liked Her Little Women very much. Um, and I like this very much. And yet, you know, here's a film that has this extraordinary design and costume design and set design and color palette and everything and musical numbers that allow for kind of an outrageous, vibrant look. And there's still something about the way that Greta Gerwig does or doesn't use the camera that bothers me. Yeah, I think the camera moves so little. Yeah. Mm. Uh, usually in the musical numbers, it sweeps in or it goes out, but there's very, there's kind of very little with it. Yeah. Like kind of, you know, there's very little that's communicated just by the use of an angle over a particular movement or, you know, kind of following the characters in particular ways or, you know, um, so I think a lot of what's interesting about the look of the film and it does, you know, it has a very powerful look. Mm. Yeah. It's really the placement of, characters within the set design in a way that nonetheless seems quite head-on and a bit static. Mm. I don't think she's got an eye or she has yet to develop a way to communicate kind of cinematically through things other than writing and performance and set design, if that makes any sense. Yeah, yeah, because the film has a very strong aesthetic. It's a very clear aesthetic. Mm. Um, and as you say, set design in particular is a huge part of that, and it's um, and it's and that communicates an awful lot. But emphasis through camera placement, camera movement, shot selection, that sort of thing is kind of absent. It's not that interesting here. Yeah, it's very basic anyway. Yeah, exactly. Um, I want to think about how Mattel is is portrayed because this is a Mattel product. Barbie is a Mattel product, and Mattel, as I say, historically has been protective of Barbie in cinema. Mattel themselves are portrayed here. Their offices are portrayed. Obviously, this is not realistic. This is a this is a, a fictional version of Mattel. So the offices are kind of grey, static, regimented, all in rows, like in playtime, that sort of thing. Um, and the, the 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 bosses in the boardroom are all men, and that's pointed out. Why you know Barbie, that's made part of the joke. Exactly. Yeah, Barbie discovers that um, that not a single woman runs this company. That sort of thing. And I was sort of wondering, like, because that's something that actually started to occur to me as a little bit radical. Like, it was more critical of the the power structure behind the doll than I expected it to be. And then I kind of realised, like, um, it's it's really ultimately that Mattel has figured out it doesn't matter. Like, no one cares about Mattel themselves and how they're portrayed. If it's in service of the movie, it doesn't matter that they can be made to seem stilted or or stuffy or whatever it might be because what we care about is Barbie Barbie's the one who wins out Barbie's the one who this you know I think there's more than that so I think you know part of depicting them like this is to have them be in on the joke mm. yeah kind of you know uh, uh, so 
which is not necessarily that it's not real, you know, perhaps all of the board is male in real life as well, you know, but here it's shown to be and made fun of, turned into a joke that it is. But I think it's also shown in a very positive light. I mean, you know, it's kind of definitely open to all kinds of change. It's flexible, kind of. Yeah. Well, I suppose what, when when this happened in the film, when you meet the board and when Barbie in particular meets the board, um, I remember thinking at this point, um, <laughs> Baudrillard, John Baudrillard said about The Matrix because, you know, his work kind of partially inspired that film quite famously and then he kind of decried it. And he said, The Matrix is the film that The Matrix would make about itself and sell to you. You see what I mean? Like it would tell you its own story, and it would and it would placate you and all this sort of thing. But you'd still be in the Matrix, and it kind of this made me think of that, right? This is the film that the Matrix would make of Barbie, sort of thing. It's keeping well, it's still in it's still in Barbie. Well, it doesn't matter how critical it it will or make a joke of Mattel, you're still in Mattel's Barbie world. Well, let's be real. You know, you know. I mean, I think uh, uh, so. In a way, yes, of course. But I also think so. What? Hmm. So. You know, it's a given. Mattel is this big brand that's going to protect this brand. It's also trying to sell you all of those things or remind you of all of those things or try to connect all these consumer items that relate to a lot of women's youth and past and emotional life. And, you know, and it's trying to make coin out of it. Yeah. Yeah. So to me, that is... It's not a surprise. No, it just made me think about it, you know, because that's how like being in on the joke against yourself works. You're still the one making the corn off it, as you say. I think the surprise to me is the um, you know the kind of uh, uh, hatred of women uh, that means that this hasn't been done before. So there's all kinds of products and imaginary worlds and so on, you know, that are aimed at women, right? So kind of why have movie companies not taken advantage of that? The way that movie companies have taken. Uh, uh, or, you know, have, have, what's the word, not profit, taken advantage or, uh, you know, uh, made stuff out of boys' dreams and desires. I mean, think of all the video games, mm. you know, that have, you know, been turned into films out of the very same principle as this, right? So, you know, I think it's astonishing that this is the, the first kind of brand world that I can think of. This Lego, I think, would come before it. I think that's definitely a big... Well, Lego is, to me, a mixed-sex thing. I don't think of Lego as a female thing. No, no, but you're talking about a brand world that has had its cinematic you know, world made out of it. Okay, but but I'm also thinking of other things. I, I, I think as part of that, I also think of video games that then kind of, you know, uh, create a world that are, or the, or Marvel, or DC, for that matter, as opposed to a Superman film or a Batman film. The fact that, you know, DC as a brand world, yeah, is, yeah. you know... I think uh, so. All of those, to me, are made for boys, really. Yeah, you know. Yeah. So, so I think what took them so long, I suppose, is what I'm saying. Yeah, there's a kind of a misogyny involved in the absence. Yeah, you know, because obviously there there are commercial potentialities, just as there are for all the boy stuff. Why has it taken so long, you know, to to realize that that's something that can be exploited? Exploited. Yeah, yeah, um, and I think. You know, there's been a lot of talk about Greta Gerwig selling out or whatever, which I think is ridiculous, right? Kind of, you know, uh, this is a very imaginative work uh, that shows a great degree of control, right, on the part of the filmmakers. Um, but, you know, kind of nonetheless having a, a budget and a scope and a commercial viability, right, 
that has uh, so far not usually been granted to women filmmakers. Mm. Yeah, she's been accused of the selling out on the basis that she's this indie darling, and and mm. now she's this is a hundred and forty, hundred fifty million dollar budget movie, yeah. something like that. Which is something they never said about Nolan or anything. That is, no. I mean, that's that's key as well because and the other thing is that it's this branded thing. It's it's you know whatever it is, it's going to be a toy advert for Barbie on some level. And the thing with Nolan was, you know, again, it started. He, yeah, he started off in indie, and he made bigger and bigger movies, and then but no one accused him of selling out when he did Batman, exactly. and Batman was as equivalent uh, yeah basically yeah it's a brand and and the world um so i think the other thing that I, I didn't catch on you know because obviously usually when i see a film and we do this podcast i'm quite innocent on it i, I don't read anything i uh, you know mm. i've uh, often not even seen the trailers i've certainly not read anything on it i kind of you know i wanted this podcast to be about my responses to the work right uh but there's been so much publicity that I, you know, I couldn't help but come across information on Barbie. Interestingly, the one thing, well, many things, but it certainly was not mentioned that the film is a musical. Yeah, yeah, pretty much is. I mean... It's got lots know, of songs that the characters actually sing and it's got original songs, yeah, musical numbers. I mean, I think that's the, the key for me. So it's not just songs or it's not just, you know, that people sing a bit or, mm. you know, that kind of music is plays a large part in it, is that there are actually, like, important musical numbers. Yeah. Yeah, that kind of, you know, uh, convey feeling and push the action forward and so on. Mm. Uh, so so that, to me, makes it a musical. Yeah. Uh, and I'm surprised that it hasn't been talked about that way because, to me, that's also kind of part of the film's achievement in a way, yeah? To kind of make a musical so viable and so current and so much in line with the wit of the rest of the film, yeah? I suppose that when... Because not every um, every scene or every kind of plot point has a musical number attached to it. There's only a few and they're a little bit sparse. So maybe that's part of it is that people haven't seen it as a musical because it's you know, there are just a few musical moments. Well, um, but, you but know. you're right. I mean, actually, it makes me think of the South Park movie in 1999 was clearly a musical, musical. and had several, and more so than this, really. Mm. It, it really did push its action forward regularly through musical numbers. And no one talks about that as a musical. I, th- I think actually probably they were resistant to sell it as a musical because they thought, what, who, what South Park fan is going to want to see a musical? Right. But then it turns out to be great, yeah. right? Well, I think this is the case with this because I was quite struck. So I sat at the end of the credits trying to wait for the songs to come up and then I just couldn't be bothered. There were so many credits. Um, and of course, one of the big credits was the dancers. So yeah. all of a sudden you see like these, you know, dozens and dozens and dozens of names and it says dancers, right? <laughs> and you think, well, yes, of course, there are really all those dancers because there's all those musical numbers in the scenes on the beach where they dance and yeah, kind of, you know, you need the, all of those dancers. It's a musical. Yeah, yeah. Um... Ken. Uh, <laughs> yes. Ken is Ken is marvellous and he's so much fun to look I mean Ryan Gosling is just the perfect person to play him. Yes. He he he's written so beautifully. It, it's one of these things where um the character is so dumb that you know you can't help but kind of be charmed by him. He's always not quite getting it or seeing things the wrong way or whatever it might be. Um, he has the best line in the film for my money, the one I laughed at the most, which was the thing about four o'clock, ten o'clock. Mm. Um, um, it's interesting because the thing is that 
you know, in Barbie world, or is it Barbie, Barbie land? Um, it's a matriarchy. It's run by the Barbies. The Kens just hang out all day on the beach. That's their whole thing is beach. Um, and in the real world, they, or he, the one Ken, learns about the patriarchy. And, and then he goes back and it basically becomes like Andrew Tate. I mean, I don't know like exactly when this film was made, but there were like, real shades of, you know, Andrew Tate's only really emerged over the last year or so. So it, I'm sure there's a huge element of coincidence in, in the way uh, he is similar. But there's a huge amount of that. It's, it's, he turns the guys into these stereotypical guys and real kind of old Americana guys in some ways, the cowboy stuff. Well, that, to be fair, I mean, cowboy stuff is still pretty popular in huge parts of America and country music is massive. So maybe that's not quite so oldie-worldy as uh, I suggest. But um, it has this thing of... In fact, it reminded me of um, the... Uh... Oh, what was the film we saw not long ago that wasn't great, but it was about the the patriarchal world set in the 50s. It was like the Stepford Wives, but... Oh, yeah, I know what you mean. It's the one with Harry Styles. Yes, that's the one. Yeah, I forget I, the name of it. I can't remember the name. Don't yeah. worry, darling, was that the name Something of it? Something like that, yeah. It reminded me of that, right, where it's it's like the kind of secret cabal of men decide to brainwash and, mm. and, and control their women. And this is that going on, and of course it's broken out of pretty quickly, because why wouldn't it be? But it's done with this... It, as, again, as you say, it's done with this unquestioning acceptance or not acceptance but knowledge and acknowledgement yeah. acknowledgement that that the world is run by men it's so difficult to be a woman and america ferrara who is our real world character who comes into barbie land not only gives this inspiring speech about that that breaks some of the barbies out of their brainwashed state but then she has to do it again and again and again for all the barbies which is quite a funny idea like you've been inspiring once now it's a, a factory and i love that it was america ferrara doing that because you know, she brings all the connotations of Ugly Betty yeah. into the role. Yeah, where she was also the secretary gatekeeper. Yeah. Yeah. But in the, it was in a world of fashion and superficiality and the, the superficiality that was important and so on. So actually, I thought that kind of meshed really well into, you know, what this film was trying to do. It kind of was, uh, you know, it added a layer. Yeah. yeah. Um, I think it's also just an observation that so much of the critique of Barbie wasn't the way that she looked, yeah. That, you know, she was the slim, long-legged, big-breasted kind of... Yeah, the idea that if a real human woman had those proportions, she wouldn't be able to stand up because her waist is too thin, her body's too... Yeah, you know, all that kind of stuff. Well, you know, it wasn't ideal. I mean, you know, when I think of Barbie, I think of somebody like uh, Angie Dickinson in her prime. She had that kind of physique, mm. right? Um, but I thought what was interesting about this film, and of course it's also of a different time, you know, that in a certain way, it acknowledges all those pressures on men. Yeah. Kind of, you know, Ryan Gosling's body. None of the Ken's bodies are bodies that you have naturally. And they're mm -hmm. not even that diverse, right? They're all muscly abs. Yeah. John Cena makes a, 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 a cameo appearance. Yeah. And he is representative of that Ken, isn't he? Right. So and he's really exaggerated. He's yeah. got bodybuilder physique in the way that the others just have very, very fit physiques. Mm, I think Ryan Gosling is more than you know. No, okay, but like, but he's he's huge and wide and a wrestler. Sure. You know, okay. So. Um, anyway, I thought you know that was kind of like an interesting aspect in the film that yeah. you know that oppressive image culture, you know, which still affects women more, but is also now you know beginning to be to affect men and it's present in the film in interesting ways. I think it's a, a lot more complex film than it seems because it's done so lightly 
and so knowingly and so ironically and it's kind of played at that one remove oh let's just have fun everything is beautiful <laughs> you know that actually i think it hides like you know the the layers of depth that it has and the real critique that it offers uh except that you know again my feeling from the audience was that you know the young girls young as they were got every nuance you know yeah yeah you can feel it um although i think you might expect more with respect to the ken body you know pressures on men type thing i think you might have expected a little more of that coming through the alan character is it alan who's ken's mate mm. who's michael Sierra in this film and there's only one of him so part of the thing is that there's multiple barbies played by all different actresses and there's multiple kens all played by different actors but there's only one alan and he is a complete joke and he is not physically you know he's not strong he's not taking his shirt off all of that he's just kind of weedy but it's just him it's just michael Sierra. he's just kind of not really he's making just, anything himself in the background and you would um i think it would be stronger it, it would provide a stronger reading in that sense if if he appeared to feel more um of a kind of I don't know, weakness or inadequacy that but kind you, of thing but it, 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 it does it, it, but, it does yeah, but he's yeah, but he just kind of gets on really, and he's the only one who's got like, I don't know, a normal body. I mean, yeah, you know, still thin and so on, but you know, a normal body, like not with muscles popping, which all the rest have. Yeah. Anyway, of the it's men. a minor. Although actually, the women there, there is there is a pregnant Barbie discontinued, as we're told a couple of times, and there is um a, a larger woman. I don't know what her particular Barbie is, yes. but um you know, so not all of the Barbies have the the barbie well not but, now but, but you um, know for many years because obviously it's an evolving discourse but yeah, they still mostly do on barbie i mean you know uh i'm not sure when black barbies began to appear in the market that's very recent well no the 80s yeah okay, i looked so it up i mean that's not quite as recent as you think well to me it is well I barbie mean, came out in know, what the 50s or 60s yeah, and you know the civil rights was in the sixties. Yeah, so to have you know a black Barbie only in the eighties seems quite a long wait. No, I agree with that. Yeah. But now uh, we're actually forty years on from that. Sure. So that's they've, they've existed for longer than they haven't in sure. Barbie Barbie time. Sure, Barbie time. But when you were saying at the beginning that in a way Barbie doesn't mean anything because you play with dolls and you invest them mm. with everything, I mean there's a degree of truth in that, but I think it's a little bit more complicated in the sense that these dolls structure dreams that's why when you have president barbie it's something different than just barbie yeah right or when you have dr barbie right so yes yeah, you like we could never have imagined that barbie would be a doctor and now she is exactly yeah so the types of play that the titling and the costuming and so on kind of allows for is very different yeah mm. and i think actually that's a kind of well it's a kind of basic and perhaps banal type of feminism that you can be anything right but th that actually that you know there are those barbie dolls is an evolution and is a way of structuring kind of ambition or potentiality you know in gender terms that hadn't really much existed before there's a wheelchair barbie in this is that i didn't yeah do you remember she was on the dance floor early on you don't see much of her right but i didn't know i mean presumably there is a real world equivalent of, yeah, yeah, of yeah. wheelchair barbie well but, uh, <laughs> she's probably not called wheelchair barbie to be fair but she's in a wheelchair <laughs> 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 we don't have a trans barbie yet as far as i know but actually that would be interesting in the, in the context of the film because the film is so heavily built on what it's like to be a woman and what it's like to be a man and what those ideals are a trans barbie would would get so in the way of this and muddle it all up I can't it does, the film it does have a, a nod to a gay audience, 
with Ken being kissed by a man on each side. So yeah, yeah. I know. I also think maybe you see it differently. I also think there's uh, an implication that Alan is supposed to be gay at the start because when Ken, when Ken, I think goes into the sea and hurts himself because the sea's solid and he, he's too stupid. Um, I think Alan screams like more than anyone else. No, you know, or maybe it's when Ken leaves. Something like that, perhaps. But, but you know, but Alan is to Ken as Ken is to Barbie. I yeah, mean, yeah. You know, so yeah, without Ken, Alan has no existence. Yeah. <laughs> He's Ken's friend. <laughs> so um, anyway, I think you know to wrap up at least my um, perceptions of the film. It's uh, it's a film that I think is a great success. I enjoyed it much more uh, than I expected to. I think it's both a fun film and it's also a serious film. Yeah, and a kind of, you know, after all the bloody long credits came out, there were still young girls looking at the screen, mm. you know, which I think is like, the, for me, the equivalent of a standing ovation at a film. Mind you, I think, like me, they were waiting for a post-credit scene with Ken that never materialised. I was expecting one and didn't come. I I'm wonder not, whether we I'm were waiting for some. I'm not sure about that. Uh, you know, and if they were, that's still a credit to the film. They were willing to wait. Yeah. Right? So sitting there expecting more, wanting more. Uh, so, uh, yeah, I think it's kind of, um, I don't think it's one of the great masterpieces of the cinema, but I think it's a wonderful film and I'm, you know, I enjoyed it very much and I'm glad to see how well it worked. It's, it's surprisingly good. Yeah. You know, it's surprisingly clever and extremely self-knowing and you never at any point forget that this is like all had the okay from Mattel, the thumbs up, yes, you can do this, but, um... You, you have to get to a point where you go, okay, I accept our corporate overlords. Let's see if the thing is any good other than that. The thing that I forgot to say that is maybe one of the most important aspects of the film for me is how rare and how welcome it is to see a film that's smart, that's intelligent. Yeah. Yeah. It knows yeah. what it's talking about. To, to a point where I thought, I think this is probably true, some of the things the characters talk about and the way they express them will go over the heads of the younger members of the audience, the yes. younger girls who are who, who are the, well, the ones really playing with Barbie still. But, but they might aspire to it, which I think is so different than so many of the films you know, that I enjoy, where you think, it's just dumb, really. I mean, I'm enjoying it, but it's so stupid. Mm. Right? And there's something kind of depressing about the stupidity of it. This is the opposite. This sparkles with intelligence. <laughs> yeah. And I want to say as well that... I think the, I, for me, the strongest section of the film, or some of the strongest jokes that were made, were when uh, Ken tries to take over and does take over Barbie Land and turn it into Kenland or Kendom, as I think he calls it. Um, and well, it's it's when the Barbies fight back and they realise their power, the power that they have to control these men who are not that bright and quite predictable, and will. Uh, take any opportunity to mansplain something, which is a really key... They don't actually say the word mansplain at any point, but they just play it they out. They just do it. It's so, really good. Yeah. so the Barbies pretend that they're still brainwashed, even though they've been freed from the clutches of the Kens, and they will invite them to play a song on their guitar for four hours, and they will invite them to explain The Godfather to them, which actually... I mean, there's, there's so many film references in this. So there's like... There's even it's fun... aimed at film geeks. Hugely. I mean, yeah. the film opens with 2001 A Space Odyssey. As a critique. Being played out. Yeah. The, in a way, the bad object in the film is your average film geek. Yes. Yeah. The mansplainer of The Godfather or, you know, I forget what other examples they give. Yeah, well, so, but like I said, it, I mean, in, in the form of the film, the film opens with the 2001 Space Odyssey parody mm. where the girl's playing with dolls and then starts hitting them when Barbie arrives. Um, 
there's a, one I took to be a Fight Club one, where which is a really brief thing, and it's a brief scene in Fight Club as well, where it's just all the guys uh, who work in the hotel on the TV screen saying welcome, and it happens here when all the all the Kens say, um, "Let me show you." Like, it's the same shot. I'm, I'm pretty sure that's the same because, and it would be a, an apt reference to be making because that's about the time that they're effectively making a Fight Club gang of men who you know want to control the world sort of thing. Um, and and the thing about the Godfather is not just that it's referencing the Godfather, but that it's referencing the Godfather as something that men want to explain. Mm. Is was wasn't that in um, You've Got Mail? I'm sure mm. we talked about this before when we talked about You've Got Mail. Mm, when um, I, I'm sure Meg Ryan has something about about guys explaining the Godfather and how lame it is. Yeah. Anyway, so like it it feels re- and maybe it's maybe it's not a reference to that specifically. Maybe it's just reference to more the general thing that like the Godfather is such a male thing. Such a male film, a male world, something that men want to explain, say it's the greatest film of all time, even though they've never seen it. You know, um, this film's doing that. And, but basically, that whole section of this film, when they are taking control back surreptitiously from the Kens, is, is really funny. It's got loads of really knowing jokes about, about the way in which men act, men think, the way in which they can be manipulated. Um, in, and yeah, it's, it's extremely broad. But it doesn't mean it's not got any truth to it. I mean, I've definitely fucking played guitar for four hours for no reason. <laughs> I can't say I've ever explained The Godfather to someone, but I've done similar things. I run a fucking podcast for Christ's sake. Uh-huh. You know, um, I really, I just, I really enjoyed that that section. Yeah, no, it was great. It was one of the great moments. Anyway, we should probably wrap up now. I think you know, a, a, yeah. a wonderful film, very light, but also with great depth and really, really intelligent. And you know, it kind of it really surprised me uh, how much I liked it. And how much the audience enjoyed it. Yeah, I would say an extraordinarily transparent corporate product. But then, what is the MCU and the DCU and all and Star Wars, if not these these yeah. days? And and so, if if men get all of these with no thought about what women should enjoy, why shouldn't women have one? <laughs> True. So I think all of that should really be thought about and critiqued. But let's not pick on this film to do so. (laughs) (laughs) So um, thank you all very much for listening. We're eavesdropping at the movies and we are on. Apple Podcasts, Audible, Google Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud and YouTube. On social media, we're on Facebook and Twitter at Eavesdrop Movies. Uh, Even though Twitter is death throes these days, but we're Mm. still there. We're still there. Um, And the website is eavesdroppingatthemovies.com. Thank you very much for listening. We're back. Yeah, we're back. <laughs> Oppenheimer next. <laughs> the double bill. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. <laughs>